TV trivia. We're going to go back a ways. Some of you youngers are going to be like, who? Um, but if you can imagine, you know, just as the Earth's crust was hardening, there was a time when there was only really four channels, like the three major networks and PBS. Uh, now there's like 600 channels, and there's still nothing on. But uh, uh, back in the days, we didn't have a whole lot of options, so we watched whatever those four channels would produce. And in the 60s, uh, one of those shows was this one. Does anybody recognize the cast of this one? Yeah, Lost in Space. You've got to be a certain age. Maybe if you're you know, a little younger, you might remember the movie. It came out in 1998, and uh, Tim Tool Time, whatever his name was, he was in it. Anyway, uh, but in, in the early 60s, th this show's so old that the first season was in black and white, people. Uh, but in the early 60s, for three seasons, the Robinsons, it's loosely uh, tied or affiliated with the story of Swiss Family Robinson, they were a space-traveling pioneer family uh, who uh, had all kinds of adventure and mishaps uh, during their three seasons of airing. I thought it was funny that uh, uh, in the 60s they had uh, moved forward to 1997, to the day and age when America would be able to have space travel. That was when this uh, you know, particular show was set. Uh, anyway, you may remember the catchphrase? What was the big catchphrase that came out of this show? We still use it today. Dan Very good. And the older generation speaks. Danger, Will Robinson. If you've, if you've grown up not knowing what that is, it's tied to this show. And it was, it was, it was quoted or said by, anybody who, who said that? Who said it all the time? The robot. Does anybody know the robot's name? Well, they called it Robbie, but it didn't, that, that was just came later in the show because no one bothered to name this robot. I was so disappointed when I read up on this. No one called the robot any particular, like C-3PO and R2-D2, cool robot names, right? But robot was just robot. Uh, but Robot would hang out with Will Robinson. He was the youngest Robinson. And every time Will was about to get in trouble, Robot would say, say it with me, danger, danger Will Robinson. So today I've leveraged, I've borrowed from Lost in Space and entitled our message, Danger Words, Robinson. And I did that for a couple reasons. One, I'm lazy. Uh, the, t the title was already, you know, two-thirds written. All I had to change was Will and words. Uh, <laughs> the second reason is because I think it, it goes into what we're going to talk about today. Wouldn't it be great? And we talked about this a little bit last week. Because last week we read James chapter 1, verse 19, and we learned to, to, to do it. Everybody remember how we do this? How to, everybody ready? We are to be what? Quick to listen, right? And then slow to speak and slow to become angry. Yeah. Uh, usually we're the opposite. As a culture, we are slow to listen or we don't listen at all. And we are super fast to speak, text, email, tweet. We are fast and often fast without thinking. So, so we're trying to change that. We're trying to learn to communicate God's way in a, a world that doesn't. But that's hard. And it would be easier, I think, if, if someone could come up with an app like this robot in Lost in Space who would say to us, hey, danger words, don't say that. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if your phone had like this... Uh, uh, preemptive spell check. Who likes spell check? Anybody like spell check? Nobody in America can spell anymore because they don't have to. You know, their computer will fix it for them. Although there are some unfortunate texting spell checks. Has anybody noticed these? Yeah, you can, you got to be careful of those. Anyway, uh, uh, but spell check has kind of come into play. Wouldn't it be great if we had a preemptive spell check? Something that would, would actually keep us from saying or texting or writing things uh, before they even tumbled from our fingers or our face. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, they haven't come up with that yet. 
But uh, I'm here to tell you this morning, just like I tell you every week, uh, we do have someone who is able to assist us, to lead us, to guide us. Uh, we call him the Holy Spirit. He is uh, God himself, and he is de- his desire is to help us in this area of communication, to do it well, to glorify him, and to edify and encourage each other. That's why uh, James wrote this early on in his letter. He wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him or her ask God, uh, who gives generously without reproach. That means even if you've been a jerk, he'll still help you. And it will be given to him. God's uh, never going to ask us to do something that he isn't willing to help us with, willing to guide us through, willing to provide us what we need to accomplish. So I'm grateful for that. And today, uh, as we continue in the series, I want to talk about these danger words uh, that we need help with. So these are some danger word warnings. And we're going to do uh, most of our time in James chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles and they're open there, let's start reading. In chapter 1, or chapter 3, excuse me, verse 1, James writes this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, he lumps himself in with those guys, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He's going to go on and write some of the most famous or well-known verses on the tongue and its power, but he encases it or contextually plants it in this whole run of thought on teachers. And he's basically saying, hey, look, if you're going to teach, um, understand that that comes with a higher level of accountability. Uh, back in those days, uh, the church didn't look like our church today. Uh, they didn't have huge gathering spaces like this and microphones where one guy could talk the whole time. Uh, they usually met in the synagogues. Uh, and, and the Jews uh, in Christian churches would kind of dictate how Christian churches functioned. They were, they were probably uh, a group of people who were assigned to be teachers, rabbis, and, and they would stand up and they would kind of lead the conversation, but then uh, other people could contribute to the teaching, and, uh, and they would. Uh, James wasn't trying to discourage teachers. In fact, we could always use more uh, who uh, God has gifted in teaching to teach the body of Christ. But he was saying, if you're going to teach, make sure you teach well. Make sure you teach correctly. Because those of you who teach, uh, you carry weight. You, you have power in directing the rest of the body of Christ and what they think and how they live. Not, should it, not many of you should become teachers, he says, for you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Jesus uh, taught the same things when he uh, was speaking to his disciples who would become the apostles, the teachers of the early church. He says, listen guys, be careful when you teach, my words, uh, in Mark chapter nine, verse 42, because whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, to stray, to go in a different direction, whoever misinforms and misdirects the flock, it would be better for him uh, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, I don't know where you gauge uh, having a huge rock, like a 500-pound rock tied to your neck and you being thrown into the sea. That's pretty bad. Would everybody agree with me that's pretty bad? We're not coming back from that one. Everybody agree? But Jesus says, being a misinformer, being someone who leads my little ones away, it would be better for you to have that experience than what I would have in store for you. Everybody picking up the weight? of what it is to be a teacher, you pray for me. (laughs) Uh, And you pray for you as you teach. Let's make sure that we're doing it correctly. Why? Why are these teachers and these ones who 
share their words. Why are they held to a higher accountability? Because words are so powerful. In fact, James is going to go on to say uh, that words are the highest hurdle to holiness. Well, words are the greatest challenge of the Christ life. Now, everybody understands. Uh, The Christ life begins, like we've talked about all morning, when we, by faith, receive what Christ has done for us on the cross. He uh, went to the cross, paid for our sins, sacrificed himself, and took our death on himself so that we, by faith, might believe in what he's done and be saved. If that's not what you're holding to, if you're just kind of orbiting the story of Christ and you've never chosen Christ for yourself, that's what salvation is. You need to start there. And I would love to talk to you about it after our service is over, okay? But many of you have made that choice, right? Some of you, a couple of you. Okay, many of you have made that choice. And so from, from that choice until you see Jesus again, you're in this period of life called the sanctification phase. Glorification waits, but salvation pours into sanctification and ultimately we see Jesus in our glorification. In the sanctification phase, we're just trying to become less like we were and more like we are. We're trying to be less like we were before Christ and more like we are now that we are in Christ because of our faith in him. And then the sanctification phase, here's what James is gonna say. He's gonna say the greatest hurdle for you and I becoming like Jesus is this thing right here. In fact, if we could figure out this thing right here, the rest of it would fall into place. You're like, nah, that's not what he says. It's totally what he says. Read the verse, here it comes. Because he says this, for we all stumble in many ways. Testify, anybody? I am like, Varsity when it comes to sin. I am an all-star. I stumble in many ways. I don't want to, uh, but I, it's, not an, it's not a hard thing for me to sin. You? Okay, so James is admitting that as well. We all stumble in lots of different ways, lots of different manifestations that sin comes into our lives. But he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if anyone can master their communication, then he is a what? He's perfect. He's able also to bridle his whole body. And so what James just did is he said, hey, listen, there's all kinds of sins, but you know what the hard ones are, the really horrible ones are, the toughest ones are? They're the ones that we sin with in our communication. In fact, if we could figure out this portion of life, we could sort out the rest by the grace of God. Hmm. He goes to the barn and to the bay to illustrate what he means. Follow me. First, the barn. He says, if we put bits, these little pieces of metal, into the mouths of horses, these huge animals, I don't know, I haven't gotten on a scale with one lately, but they're big. Uh, with these bits in these mouths of these horses, they, they obey us, and we guide their whole bodies as well. You can make a horse dance, like literally train the thing to, to like sachet or whatever, <laughs> just by putting this little piece of metal in their mouth and tying it. Uh, off to some leather straps and be able to pull back on that thing. Make it stop, go, turn. And then he goes to the bay and he says, uh, look at the ships. He says, though they're so large, I mean, these massive boats, if you've ever been down to Tampa Bay, you can see the huge, you know, cruise ships comes in. I mean, these huge, huge vessels. And they're driven by these forces of nature, these strong winds. But still, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot direct. So also, he says, the tongue is a small member, a small part of our body, yet it boasts of great things. It doesn't, certainly our tongues can be guilty of bragging and pride and all that stuff, but he's not 
talking about the sin of boasting. He's saying, listen, this little mucous membrane, this little you know, muscle, this two or three pound piece of flesh that's flapping around your mouth, um, it has the power to turn your whole life in directions just by what you say, just by what you text, just by what you communicate. It's like, a, it's, it's like the main switch in a breaker panel. It's like, a, it's like that, that uh, cutoff uh, you know, faucet at the, at the corner of your yard. Anybody ever had you know, one of your pipes burst and it's in such a place that it, it, it can't be shut off by the actual valves under the sink or near the toilet or whatever like that? And you're, you know, I, I remember you know, in, in situations like that, just yelling at one of my kids, all right, hold down, you know, get towels, I'm going out to the corner so I can shut off the main. Uh, if we could just shut off the main, uh, we could, the Bible says through James, control the rest. Some of us might be saying, well, I don't know if that's entirely true. I mean, it's in the Bible, yeah, okay. But, uh, I mean, you know, some of you guys are like, well, I hardly talk at all. Like maybe 50 words a day. You know, are those words really that powerful to where they would... Well, you, you probably need to expand your understanding of communication. Communication isn't just in the verbal words that you speak. We talked about it last week. We text and tweet and email and, and communicate in all kinds of ways. When we're in traffic, we use hand gestures, right? <laughs> Keep your hands holy. But I was reading this week uh, on this subject, and, and this is one of the aha moments that I've uh, had as, as I've considered these things that we're talking about. I've, I've been preaching for uh, 28 years now, and and covered this text several different times, but I saw something new this week that a, a scholar brought to my attention. Um, he said that it's not just the external communication, whether verbal or, or gestures or whatever, it's, it's the internal communication that, that James is talking about. If we could just master the self-talk that goes on inside our heads, then we could master the other parts of us that flow from that self-talk. Because every, every sin that you and I commit starts here. Everybody gets that, right? It's born of here, right? Our hearts are wicked, all right? Uh, redeemed, but can, we can turn back to the old man. And then from our heart form our thoughts, and from our thoughts form our words and our deeds, right? And so James is saying, hey, man, maybe we need to control the thought bubbles. Anybody remember reading comic books? Comic books were great because if you had a solid line of, of, of a box with white inside that had the words, that's what the guy was actually saying out loud. But, but if you wanted to know what was going on in Batman's head as he was about to fight the Joker, um, the, the, the writer would actually draw squiggly lines, right, with bubbles coming out of the bottom uh, so that we could know what was going on in the head. Is everybody grateful that you and I don't have thought bubbles over our head? Is everybody grateful for that? Because here's what we've been taught, and I actually told you this last week. Whatever's up here... God has given us a lid for our mouths so that, so that if it's up here, it doesn't have to come out of here. You can catch it before it comes from here to here, and we need to get better at that, right? Slow to speak. But, but here's what I think James is saying. He's saying, yeah, but, but just because we can sin verbally out loud, it doesn't mean that we are not sinning internally. Remember what Jesus said about adultery? He was teaching in, in, in Matthew uh, chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he basically was raising the bar for everybody who thought, you know, I'm pretty righteous. On the outside, I'm doing pretty good. 
But he's, he, he kept saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And one of the things he said is, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Anybody remember that one? Anybody heard that that's bad? Don't cheat on your wife or your, your husband? Okay, everybody agree? You shouldn't do that? But he says, remember what he says? But I tell you, if you have lust in your heart for a woman, if you lust after someone in your mind with your thoughts, it's as if you have committed adultery. And so what he's pointing out there is that sin is not just out here, it's in here. And the next frontier of our sanctification process, as God gives us grace not to allow things to flow out of us, is for God to give us the grace to capture every thought and make it captive and for us to control the messaging that goes on in our minds so that it never has a chance to flow from our mouths and our deeds. I'll read you what made me think through all this. It's by a guy named J.A. Mottier who writes for a set of commentaries that I read. Now, he says, the tongue is so much more than what we actually say out loud. In fact, actual speech is probably only a small percentage of the use of the tongue. He says, we cannot think without formulating thoughts and words, and we cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes, and we cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through in our minds before it hits the paper. He goes on and he says this, we cannot resent others without fueling those fires of resentment in the words that we address to ourselves. Come on, people. Amen. Isn't that true? I mean, you didn't say it out loud, but when your boss told you to do this and you thought he was crazy, you said it in your head, right? If I wouldn't get fired, this would come out. Now, there are people in our lives uh, that we have broken relationships with and we rehearse the tirades. We go over and over in our minds the things that we would say if given the courage and the opportunity to sin in those ways. He says, uh, we cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how hard done by we are. I got done preaching this message last night and there's a guy who comes on Saturday night and, and he's uh, convinced that the whole world is against him and, and he actually said these words to me after I preached this message, if they would just listen to me and do things like I want them to, everything in life would be okay. I'm like, you got a tape recorder going on up there, don't you? About how you're the victim, about how everybody else, it's all their fault. You've convinced yourself of those things. He says, but if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things would be cut down before they had the chance to live. Oh, that God would give us the grace to honor him with our words, externally, internally, that he would help us to say no by his strength to the things that would make a mess in our lives. Things like verbal slams. Anybody here like to have fun at other people's expense? I'm, I'm too good at that. Uh, I love it when I'm making fun of other people. I'm not so crazy when they're making fun of me. Uh, but I... Uh, all in good nature, all in good fun, I've said things that I think have gone too far sometimes. Testify, anybody? And uh, they can leave a mark on someone's soul. Gossip, we talked about that last week. So easy for us to fall into. 
especially in a church because you get in these little pockets, whether it's a life group or a group of friends who serve together or whatever, and you can just start talking about what's happening with the worship or the preaching or in the, you know, the direction of the church, and you can just start going, ah, you're like little Pac-Man and Pac-Women. And you can just start chewing on things. And I'm not saying that they're not rooted in some kind of truth, and I'm not saying that every criticism isn't merited, but I'm saying that if we spend too much time speaking negatively about things, we end up being negative about things and cease to be contributors to God's good and his grace moving forward. We can, uh, speaking of criticism, uh, be involved in deconstructive criticism. I'm all for constructive criticism. You should be too. Let people speak into your lives. Be humble and see if there's any truth in what they're saying. I love uh, hearing from folks who I trust, who, who say it with grace, and who have only my best interest in their minds when they say things. I try to listen to those things so that I can be better. God might be using them as a mouthpiece to that end. But I think most of the time when we criticize, it's not constructive. It's for our benefit. It's for us to get this off my chest. Anybody had that before they heard something? I just need to get this off my chest. Well, I don't see anything on your chest, but go ahead, sin, if you want to. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> and and we, we, we do it in so many ways. We've gotten, you know, there's so many more opportunities now to be de- deconstructively crit- critical of things, like uh, web reviews. Talked with a friend who just opened a restaurant, and I met him. It was the third week the restaurant's been open. Asked him how things are going, and he was, man, it's been growing great. If I could just get this one person who left a Yelp review, review of one star uh, off of our, you know, it would basically make us look even better online and we'd have a better image for those who might try us. And I said, well, what was their problem? And he said, it was too hot in the restaurant. One star because the temperature was too hot. Really? I mean, your experience was terrible because it was too hot in the restaurant? He settled down there, princess. <laughs> How about some grace? But no, we are we are the deservers, the entitled. We, we should have everything perfectly the way we want it, and when it's not, one star. Everybody listen to me, because I'm right. America. Flattery. Something like flattery. Isn't that good? Yeah, if it's coming from a good place. But if you're just sucking up, it's lying. Don't be a kiss-up. Be courteous. But don't try to manipulate by being nice. Even that's wrong. Are you with me? Some of you are like, I don't know, maybe, I guess. <laughs> well, let's all agree on this one. Blasphemy. Certainly blasphemy would be us speaking against God or against his truth. But blasphemy, I think, can even come in the form of us speaking as if we are God. And saying, hey, I don't know if this is anywhere in the Bible, but it's probably true. Because I think it. So here it comes. And we make God over into our image. And in doing so, um, we blaspheme him. We make him something he's not. I'm so grateful that the scriptures tell us the story of Jesus. Because, listen, go to churches, go to pastors and other people who fail. I will fail, you will fail. But if we can just keep our eyes, like it says in Hebrews, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? If we can just see his example. I mean, think about James. He grew up with Jesus. I don't know how old James was compared to Jesus, but he was a younger brother of Christ himself before he became the the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem and the writer of the epistle of James. And so he hung out with Jesus, the perfect human. 
and watched as Jesus going through life like anybody else would, never sinned out loud, never sinned at all in anything that he said. Can you imagine what that must have been like to see? His disciples hung out with him, most of them for three, three and a half years. And they got to see They were amazed, in fact. You read the Gospels. They were amazed to see Jesus not speak up for himself, not say things that they would have said given the same opportunity in the same situation. Peter. Anybody remember Peter? He's one of the disciples. Peter is credited with some of the most amazing words that have been written in our scriptures. In fact, Jesus asked Peter once, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, some people say you're you know, a prophet or these guys or these guys. And he says, who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, he says, I say that you are the Christ. He was the first one to say that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus said, oh, Pete, you're going to be my rock. He said a bunch of stuff, right? But that same Peter, flip over a few chapters, is hanging out by a bonfire as his savior is getting taken to the woodshed. And he's asked three times if he knew this one who was being beaten. And three times he said, nope. If you read a little bit further in James, you will see the back and forth that our mouths can do. One moment we can be glorifying God and praising his name, and then the next moment we can be cursing those that are made in his image. Peter Understand that football full well. But he lived for three and a half years with our Savior. And he never saw him mess up with his mouth. That's why he writes, when he writes his epistles, in the first one he says this. He says, for this you have been called. He's talking about suffering, because it's the context that we're in. Because Christ also suffered for you. Just like uh, your suffering, Christ suffered. And he left for us this example so that you and I might follow in his steps. That's That's what the Christ life is. The Christian life is being like Christ. So what was Christ like? Well, as he suffered, he committed no sin. And neither was deceit found in his, his what? His mouth. He didn't sin with his mouth. In fact, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Has that ever fascinated you about the night that Jesus was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem to five separate trials, having his beard yanked out, thorns being crashed on his heads, getting 39 lashes with a whip, having a blindfold on his face and Roman soldiers punching him. He never said a word. He was mocked while hanging on his cross, challenged that if you really are the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, come down. And he never said a word. He was questioned by Pilate. And he said so little. Why? Because he just wouldn't sin with his mouth. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Oh, when I suffer, my mouth goes into overdrive. I'm a complainer. I'm a threatener. I will yell at you if you're about to hit me at Walmart. I mean, it is coming, right? I will dude you. But he didn't. He could have called 10,000 angels and smushed everybody at his crucifixion like a bug, and he never opened his mouth, except to say things like, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, except to ask uh, Well, He just continued entrusting himself to his Father who judges justly, and we need to, too. 
Why? Because the inverse is going to cause problems. If we don't trust God, if we don't follow God in our communication, and we just kind of go off on our own, our communication is going to make a mess every time. Why? Because words can burn. Words are fire starters, man. James says as much. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It's fire season over in California. Last year, I remember Darnisha and Scott were in the middle of some of those. Uh, But those fires don't get started by huge bombs exploding. Someone tosses a cigarette by the side of the road. A lightning strike hits one tree and then acres burn to the ground. Why? Because it only takes a spark (laughs) to get a fire going, right? Just want a little one of these. These were fun when we were kids. We'd grab aerosol cans and have fights. Don't do that. Young people, don't do that. There's warnings on the label. Don't do that. It smells bad. Don't do that. But we would do that. But then we get older. You think we'd learn our lesson. Don't put this next to flammables. But like you're lighting a fire in your backyard like I was a few years ago and you ran out of lighter fluid, which is the normal, sensitive way, or sensible way of lighting fires. So you go to your gas can that you use for your lawnmower and you just kind of pour it around. You don't think it's too much. But then you take not one of these lighters, but one of those long lighters, you know, the six-inch wands, right? I mean, certainly that's enough room. And you stick it down in your fire and you're engulfed by flames. That's what happens when that occurs. You're... You're just in the middle of a fireball, and you're checking for your eyebrows, and certainly the hair on your arms is gone, but that'll grow back, because this leads to this, the big explosions, and that's our tongues in the lives that we live. He says, in the tongue, verse 6, is a fire. It's a world, a cosmos of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. It's a part of our body. It's members there is actually limbs. Uh, But it stains the whole of our body, and it sets on fire the entire course of life. And it's set on fire by what? Hell. So here's, here's what Satan knows about our tongues. If I can tempt them with their communication, if I can get them to to move away from the righteousness of God and into the unrighteousness that is my territory with the things that they say, oh, I I can mess up their whole lives. I can wreck families, destroy churches. I can take this little thing that lives in their mouths and blow everything up. He says, verse seven, every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature, they've all been tamed and they can be tamed by mankind. Uh, When I was a kid and the animals were still in the circuses, I used to love to watch the big cats come out and just do whatever the trainer said and before SeaWorld was a bad word, you know, and um, people got all fussed out about that. Uh, You know, it was amazing to watch these huge Whales respond to the whistles of trainers. Now we, we're the apex predators. We're, we're the top of the food chain. We, we, can, we can train and tame every other beast. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. Have a nice day.
I think James is so emphatic here because he wants us to take this seriously. Most of us don't. Most of us, when we hear sermons on speak, yeah, it's good. I need to talk better. I'll stop cussing. I'll, you know, we, we pick certain parts of our speech, but we don't surrender the whole of our communication to God as he would have us do. And so James is, uh, you know, piling it on pretty thick here. He wants us to understand the gravity of the situation. And he's very clear. No human being has ever tamed the tongue. You and I, helpless, defenseless. But I bring you back to what I opened the sermon with. Isn't it great that we live this life with a God who made us, a God who saved us through his son's death on the cross and his resurrection, and we have at our disposal the power of his spirit to overcome what we in ourselves could never overcome. And so now it becomes for us this mission to surrender to him. And so let me leave you with this. Flip over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of my favorite prophets. He's uh, credited with lots of the predictions of Christ and his coming. He tells us uh, that by his wounds, our Savior's wounds, we will we'll be healed. It's just, Isaiah is awesome. But Isaiah, uh, in, early on in his book, uh, tells the story of a vision that he has. He's in the throne room of God. And he's painting the picture for us. There he is, God sitting on the throne next to an altar. There's angels surrounding him. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, it's, a, it's an a amazing scene. And so Isaiah tells us that he runs up to God and he starts peppering him with all those questions like, why mosquitoes, you know? And, 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 and <laughs> no, is that what he does? No, Isaiah doesn't do any of that stuff. He falls on his face before a holy God, just like you would. Don't... Don't pretend that you're going to walk up to God and be like, hey, God, I have some questions. You know, you're going to see God and you are going to go flat because you are going to realize, oh, he really is holy and I really am not. That's Isaiah's reaction. And from Isaiah's reaction, we see how God redeems our communication because look what Isaiah says here in verse 5 of chapter 6. He says, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of what? unclean lips. His unrighteousness could have been described in all kinds of ways. A man of unfit deeds, a man of unclean thoughts. No, where's he go? Right to his mouth. He says, oh, I'm in front of holiness personified and all I can think about is the things that I've said. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is all at once aware. My prayer for this morning was that as you came in here, that God, by his grace, would break through your barriers, your excuses, your justifications, and he would show you all at once your areas of failure with your communication. Some of you are too quick to press send. Some of you are uncareful with your kids or your spouse. Some of us, um, I'm the same. I had to buy flowers yesterday. Eleanor calls them maintenance. Maintenance flowers. She's right. Because on, on Thursday, I opened my mouth and I said some things that I shouldn't have said in our relationship. God's working on me and mine. My prayer is that God will work on you with yours. And, and, and as God worked on you with yours, you would not just say, yeah, I probably should work on that, but you would be just like Isaiah, just contrite, floored by the fact that you're allowing this to affect your life. 
Oh God, free me from myself. Save me from my unclean lips. I am undone. Redemption in our communication starts when we confess and repent, just like redemption in any situation starts when we confess and repent. And then by God's grace, he redeems our communication. Look what it says in the next verse. It says, then one of the seraphim, these are angels, flew to, to Isaiah and, and, and he had his hand in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth in this vision and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isn't that great? Those past tense, tense things have occurred. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. All of that mess, you're freed from it. I have the power to overcome what you cannot. But it doesn't stop there. We need to confess and repent. We need to submit to God and receive from him his healing and his cleansing. But then we need to go forward, heeding and following the voice of God in all of life, but especially in the things that we say. Because look what happens next in that throne room. Isaiah's standing there and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, me, here I am, send me. And so as you leave this place and you get ready to communicate in the car as you're driving home, this afternoon as you're hanging out, tomorrow as you go to work, may you be quick to listen and slow to speak. And may you heed the direction of the Holy Spirit in the things that you say. May you say to him when it comes to your communication, here I am, send me, use me, speak through me, Guide me so that I might be an honor to you. Uh, we're going to sing as we close. We're going to have a little time after. Please stick around. There's some very special news I want to share with everybody. So stick around for that. But will you pray with me right now as we commit our communication to our God? Lord, uh, I want to pray that you would help us, Father. Uh, see that all we have is you and that all we need is you. When it comes to our communication, would you grant us, God, your grace in moving forward? Even as we sing this song, may it be our prayer to you as we submit our communication to your leading. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing? Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all my strength to follow your commands could never come from me oh father use my ransom life in any way you choose oh father use my ransom
19, David prays and he says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing, Lord, to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing, Lord, to you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, Lord, to you. Amen and amen.